When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast. My name is Jonathan, and this is Episode 12, The Druid Mystery. Ancient writers talked about the Druids quite a lot. In fact, both Roman and Greeks mentioned them quite considerably. Uh, however, we have to take with what they're saying with a grain of salt for obvious reasons. They're writing as outsiders, not insiders. And they have generally have that view of those that aren't them as being either ignorant or uh, something sort of from a mysterious past rather than necessarily the front or the, you know, giving a fair account, I guess is the word I would use. Uh, but nonetheless, we have some interesting writings, and one of which comes from a, a late Roman Empire author who apparently was quoting Aristotle. His name, the author, original author's name, was Diogenes uh, Laertes. And he quotes Aristotle as saying that the Druids were magical and wise. Uh, Diogenes believed that the Druids gave instructions by means of riddles, similar to the use by Jesus of parables in the Bible. Their key tenets urged worship of gods, absence from evil, and the practice of manly virtue. Uh, that last one, though, is interesting because it seems to be a little diverse from what we will talk about later. But nonetheless, uh, the Greeks and Romans loved the idea of manly virtue, so I kind of suspect this is more his putting their ideas on it rather than necessarily what the Druids may have taught. So the Romans believed the Druids were prophetic philosophers who dominated their political leaders because they were dependent on the Druids. Without the Druids, you don't do anything because the Druids can predict the future. They can see things. Uh, they're well known as seers, for example. Um, they are considered very wise and very astute. They studied all sorts of different things that, um, obviously your local king wouldn't have. They have an understanding of nature and of plant life. They had some role in medicines and things of that nature. So they, they do have influence. And to the Romans, it was an unhealthy influence. They never liked the idea of religion controlling the government and would always be very mis hostile towards that idea. In saying that, the Roman religion itself was inherent to a lot of what happened with the Roman public government and military. In fact, the military didn't do things without getting prophecies first. And, you know, there was a number of different things that were used to kind of define what the Romans were based on a religious idea. But the Romans were always sort of skeptical of other people's religion. And so they always found it a little mysterious and strange when other people had religious power in the government, and they do make a bit of an issue about it, needless to say. Now, according to the Romans, there were three tiers of Druids. One was the actual Druid, uh, the second one was a Vetes, and the third one was what we know as a Bard. 
the Vetes were seers and, or prophets. They were the ones who committed human sacrifice to appease the gods. Uh, Amean Marcellinus described them as those people who attempted to explain the sublime mysteries of nature. Uh, so in other words, these would be the guys who'd be your medical types. They would understand the body because of human sacrifice. They may have some understanding of how, you know, vital points in the body and, and have different understandings of how it worked. So as being a religious part, they also had a practical part from what I could see from reading kind of into the idea. Uh, Marcellinus saw the Druid class as more scholarly. Built on the ideas of Pythagoras, according to him, uh, they were seeking higher things than what existed on the mortal plane, and they wanted to understand the gods themselves and their place in that great plan. The Druids studied astronomy. With the study, they were able to divine the will of the gods. So in other words, they turned it into astrology. Uh, the Druids studied astronomy. Uh, they taught out of caves and in groves. They would teach of the afterlife to what the Romans saw help embolden their warriors with the promise that there were better things than the here and now. In other words, and this would be a very understandable thing for us these days, but the concept that, you know, your life, if it's given now, is still protected because you will go on into another another life and that afterlife will be where the real good stuff happens. So very much what most religions do now. So realistically, we're not talking about something strange or something absolutely out of the realms of understanding even today. Um, but nonetheless, the Romans found it weird, so they love to comment on the weird. Uh, Tiberius was the first Roman emperor to actually call for the elimination of the Druid class, according to Pliny, because he felt that the Gauls were still too much in thrall and of their teachings, and Pliny thought it was justified because the Romans felt Druids sacrificed other humans and then ate their flesh. Uh, the last class, of course, in all of this is the bards, and the bards were interesting because they had, uh, they were a bit more of the musical type, shall we say. They were the ones who would bring the lyres in and sing of the stories and tell the poems of ancient times, and they were the ones who upheld the knowledge and kept it safe. And we're going to talk a lot more about what the Druids believed in knowledge and, and how important it was to them and what they did with it. Uh, a little bit later down here but for the moment just keep in mind that that's kind of what the bard role was it was to be the the teller of stories the singer of songs the keeper of the information and they gathered information even into modern well modern even into the medieval times they had a tendency to gather and store stories and information and were used as kind of the entertainment source for many people in medieval uh, Wales, for example. Druids often appear to be unlike many other ancient contemporaries, uh, as their positions were open to both men and women. Often, Romans mention a druidess or a dryad who is equal to other druids. If you think about the way the Iron Age societies in Britain appear to value women as both generals and leaders, it would make sense that they would also have a part in other forms of, soci of the society. Uh, in fact, in Anglesey, as the Roman forces approached the druid stronghold, it was both men and women who unnerved the Roman forces with their magical curses. The Druid Druidic society was very different from the Near East and from the Mediterranean, which saw women as something to be ignored or something to be held as a sexualized baby maker. Even powerful women in Rome were mostly 
seen as a bad thing and generally considered to be the corrupting force in power. Uh, if we look at the history in the Near East, for example, in the Bible, Jezebel, a well-known comment as a person who is not of uh, moral upstanding value, is all about a queen who is considered to be, in, in biblical terms, to be evil. Uh, often women, if they're noted at all, it's typically for their evil actions rather than their nobility. Uh, very rarely are they upheld as a pillar, except for when they do things like have babies or, you know, raise a family or stay at home or, you know, that that was kind of what they were meant to be, according to those uh, cultures. And so this kind of idea was very different and very unnerving for a lot of Romans. And in fact, when the legions met up with the Druids and saw what was going on, it did stop them in their tracks. They were very much concerned and afraid because of this confrontation with these people. Um, so, interestingly, for Romans and Greeks, the Celtic ideas of the women's role in society was so foreign as to be considered part and parcel with their bar barbarism. So that brings us to one important question. Where did the Druids come from? For years, it was argued that they were uh, a continental Gallic origin, but Professor Barry Cunliffe, amongst others, has argued that it is likely that they originated in the West, and specifically, possibly even at Anglesey. He contends that Druids began in the middle of the Bronze Age, around the 1400s. However, he will argue that you could even see this class going back even farther than that. But the reason why he brings up the, the date of 1400 BC is because this is when class structures start to really develop in British society. We see evidences of rich and wealthy landlords. We see evidences of the warrior caste who suddenly arise at this point and of the, the leader class or the kingly class. And all of these things come about in that era of change in the Bronze Age. And so it would make sense that a priestly class would probably likely become much more codified at that point and have a lot more power in the system, especially if they're one that had existed prior to all these other ones. And that's the other argument he, he makes is you'll actually, his, his perception is, is that when we look at the late Stone Age or the Neolithic Age, particularly right before the Bronze Age, there is a movement towards different practices than what had gone before. Uh, things like henges rise up quite dramatically at this point. We have things like burial practices, which change dramatically over a few hundred years around that point. And so, his perception is, is likely what we're seeing is the beginnings, the earliest understanding of what a druid was comes at this point, And it sort of stretches on into the history of the ancient people because of that. And it becomes strong because even as these other castes come about, the priestly class is still there. And if anything, it just codifies at that point. So for him, that's where he argues it probably likely happened. And then in the age of metal, we see the rise of the Druids as a supreme class amongst the British population, and eventually that they will become incredibly powerful in the way that Britons understand themselves and how they define themselves. And they will be important in how you carry out wars, how you carry out negotiations, how you carry out basic functions of life. And that is no different really than any other ancient religious community. Uh, they are all determined and controlled through their religious practices. As I mentioned previously, this 
can be seen with the Romans themselves. Uh, they had a lot of time for the idea of appeasing the gods to ensure that you had a successful campaign, that you had a successful uh, economic time. So there was a lot of that. And it still goes on, one could argue, to this day, where the perception is, is that without God's help, you cannot achieve what you need to. And so religious groups across the world, even now, continue to appeal to that idea. And it makes sense, because for people who are trying to understand their world, you want to understand it the best way you can. Well, when you can't explain things, religion becomes important to helping you understand, helping explain the unexplainable, and know the unknowable. And so mysterious men and women who carried knowledge that no one else had would seem to be very important to you. And the fact that they could recite massive poems and tell massive stories or could pluck specific plants and say, well, you use this to do that and you use this to do this. And if you want to heal this problem, rub this on you. All of these things in that era would have been magical and people would have perceived this as great magic because there wasn't a defined science. There wasn't an understanding in the way we do now about how things work and what the results of them are. You know, this is an era where curses were still perceived to be valuable and valid. And in fact, there's as many writings found on walls in, in Roman places of people cursing other people as there is just general graffiti. You know, so obviously there was still that perception that the, the other world is just behind this little line and all we need to do to reach out to it is have the right people have the right connections. So people that can give prophecies, specifically successful prophecies, people who can know knowledge that is difficult to know or is unknown by most, uh, gives them a power and a, an ability that goes beyond just simply being a, a mythological figure. They become something of a controlling force. So when the Romans talk about this idea that the Druids had too much power, they probably weren't completely wrong. Likely, if you're controlling all the power in the knowledge and the wealth and the understanding of society, then yeah, you do have a lot of power. You have a lot of control over people. And in fact, the Druid ideals remain strong well past their their point of non-existence to some of their ideas still being valid today. And the revival of Druidism doesn't happen without this idea being already well laid. And of course, the fact that Druidism, as we know it, continues right up to about 1000 AD in Ireland. So it continues to stick around long past the arrival of the Romans, who stamped it out with a great big boot as much as possible. Um, because much like, I mean, if you think about it, it's very similar to what happened with the Jews. The perception is that the religion is what's creating the opposition to them. So for Romans, the best way to stamp out a people's opposition is stamp out their religion. That's the reason why they put uh, the emperor's head in the temple and in Jerusalem, and the reason why they tried to change the worship practices of the Jews and created such hostility because they did that is because they figured that, well, the best way to stamp out a problematic people is stamp out the religion that they feel is controlling them. So very similarly, and we'll see this in a couple of episodes, the Romans very purposely go after Anglesey where the Druidic complexes and enclaves are. This is the center point of Druid thought in Britain. And if uh, 
Professor Cunliffe is correct. It could even have been the center of Druidic thought across the Western Europe. And that would mean that stamping them out would have stamped out the knowledge of thousands of years, possibly. And you can imagine what effect that would have had on the population and how demoralizing that would have been to see the people that you depended on and for everything suddenly gone and exterminated in a way that leaves no doubt that they're never coming back and leaves you in no doubt that you can ever uphold and keep that old understanding. Now, in saying all that, it doesn't mean it ceases to exist completely. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Kato, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 and use the code welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code welshhistorypod50 at factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts. we are fairly certain that, in fact, a lot of Druidic traditions continued well beyond the Roman arrival in the first century AD. But yet, at the same time, what it did do was it, it allowed the Romans to input their own cultural differences, put in their own cultural ideas, and dominate the British landscape because of it. So even as they, they may have not completely eliminated British tradition, and we're going to go a lot, a lot into this, because as we say it, I've said before, it's very strange when you see the medieval period when all of a sudden things that had happened before the Romans arrived pop up again. 
Why would that have happened? Well, the only way it can happen is if it existed through the Roman period, because you can't wipe something out completely and suddenly have it remain if there's no memory of it. You know, we don't have a memory of living in a roundhouse. We don't have a memory of living in, you know, in homes that didn't have heating and in homes where uh, your subsistence farming was the only way you lived. That doesn't exist in most areas of the world now. Obviously, there are some areas of the world where it does. But for those of us that have lived in Western society all of our lives and in modern Western society, the idea of living out without our basic uh, appliances or basic electricity or plumbing or all of that is more of something you do just for fun, not something you do as an actual lifestyle choice. And there isn't a lot of people that are willing to do that these days. So you can imagine that the loss of these kind of things would have been very difficult to reclaim unless there was something there already. So to go back into this about the Druids again, then to kind of get back to our point, what we see with the Druids is that they are considered to be, uh, for all their wisdom and for their philosophy and their enlightened social ideas, uh, they had one fatal flaw from which we have noted initially. They didn't write things down. According to their the written sources who are from, the, as I said, the Roman and Greek point of view, uh, it was believed that the religion demanded that they keep things from being written down. Thus, there was nothing really to drive the language. I mean, if you look at it from a Welsh perspective, Welsh as a language may not have writ have existed as a written language going into the future if it wasn't for the fact that the Welsh pop religious organizations continued to use it and developed it and created a Welsh language Bible. All of those things were in critical to keeping Welsh alive as a language in a time when it was dominated by English. And I think that's the same way here. The written understanding that we would have had of Celtic people doesn't exist because the religious organization is saying don't do it. Not that they couldn't do it, but don't do it. And we don't often know if maybe they weren't writing in other languages, and we have records that they may have written, but we didn't realize they wrote them because we didn't recognize them as separate from the original authors of Rome or of Greek. And so it's very difficult to say with any assurity that they had some form of writing, be it a Greek form, be it a Latin form, or be it something else, and it just ceased to exist as a separate entity because it was never a separate language. Or could it be that they had a separate language, a separate identity, and the reality of it is they just weren't literate and never wrote it down? Either way, the fact remains is we have no records really of the Druid ideas, the Druidic philosophy outside of other people's point of view. And it makes it incredibly difficult to get an understanding of where they came from, what they thought, how did you bring an initiate into the Druid uh, people, how do you then develop them into someone who's a Druid, what did the Vetes have different than the Druids have different from the Bards, was there really this distinction or is that a Roman thing where there wasn't really a distinction between the three, but the Romans, trying to understand, perceived that there were tears in the Druidic religion. We don't know, and unfortunately we may never know, unless we come across something sometime down the road that will tell us this, be it some old book that somebody's found, 
or some sort of tablet or stone which has some writing on it that will explain to us what this is. And let's be honest, even if we found one that was written in, let's call it Old Gaelic or Old Welsh, would we even identify it as that? Would we even understand that language and be able to translate it to actually say, yeah, this is what they were talking about? We got awfully lucky in history in finding the Rosetta Stone, because without that, we never would have understood hieroglyphics. And much the same way as we found other records which have kept across different languages, which helped us translate things like uh, ancient Sumerian and ancient Babylonian, we would never would have understood any of those languages without finding something that gave us a translation in, the, in a language we did understand. Because without Greek or without other languages that we had already translated, we could have never fully understand or understood what they were saying in these other languages. There are languages like Etruscan that we do not know what they say. They have lots of stone records, lots of evidence that they had illiterate people, but because it's not Latin, we have no idea what they're on about. And it's it's... That's one of the derivatives. So even if we do find something, would we understand it? Would we know what they're saying? Would we be able to translate it? And we don't know. If it is a proto-Welsh or a proto-Gaelic, likely we'd have a chance. But if it isn't, if it's some derivative that's separate of both of those languages, then there's a possibility we may never understand them. And that's where we kind of run into problems and trouble. And so even now we still have trouble understanding what the druids were beyond the definitions that i've given you it's hard to negotiate where they came from what they were doing how long did they do it for and more importantly where they were in their own society by the perception of their own people uh, again going back to the roman sources they talk about the druids as being people who sacrifice humans the vetes were the human sacrificers uh, did that happen well, we have some evidence that it may have. Uh, the evidence that is often listed is these things called bog bodies, which are human beings who have been thrown into a bog. Uh, this happened all over Western Europe, so it's not traditionally a British thing, but there is evidence of some British bodies. There's one Welsh child which has been found, but the majority have been found in England, um, with one other one in Scotland. And they exist as sort of a, a outside thing. So if they're a religious practice, which one has to suspect they might be, uh, effectively what happens is, is at some point, someone willing or unwilling is thrown into a bog. What a bog does basically is it takes that body and it preserves it because there is no oxygen in the bog. And then over time, as the bog settles, it crushes the body. And at some points, when we thought originally that these bodies were tortured before they were killed, it turned out that no, actually it was post them going into the bog, and the bog in its resettling had actually done the damage that we perceived to have come from something else. But there is evidence of human sacrifice, because in some cases these bodies have uh, cords wrapped around their necks, showing that they were probably strangulated before they went in. And those kind of things then give some sense of credence to the idea that maybe the Druids were committing human sacrifice. Maybe the Romans weren't lying or spreading propaganda just to kind of rouse up its people. Because, of course, it makes it easy to claim that a religion is a hostile religion and a terrible religion if you can say, well, they're killing humans, you know, and, and look, they're, they're sacrificing them. And worse yet, in some 
uh, Roman sources, they claim that they were eating them. And, of course, the Romans used to claim that the Christians ate human bodies and did human sacrifice because they mis purposely or otherwise misunderstood what a, what uh, idea of sacrament is and how um, the blood and body of Christ is presumed to be uh, in Christian religion. So, in other words, you were eating the body of Christ and you were drinking the blood. So, obviously, scandalous, these Christians, they commit, you know, human sacrifice. So, if we believe the Romans on this, then we kind of, they've skewed enough other religions that we know that likelihood is, is this may not have gone the way they're talking about. Uh, bog bodies, as I said, were kind of a northern uh, European thing. They happen in Denmark, they happen in Ireland, they happen in the UK, they happened in, you know, all across northern Europe for quite a long time. So it wasn't like it was a a common thing. I mean, we're talking about maybe a few dozen in Britain, across Britain. So you're not talking about something that's a normal strategy. You know, if you were, if that was something that you were doing all the time, if that was a common thing to do, then likely it would be way more in evidence across the UK. The fact that there's so little found, I think, says enough that we're not really uh, seeing a common and often thing. Could these have happened as the Romans are describing? Possibly. But what would have been the cause? Typically, these kind of things happen not because there's a massive sense of, hey, let's go kill these humans cause, just because. It's typically an environmental issue may have come up. Uh, maybe they lost a war. Maybe they were captured and these are prisoners of war. Uh, we just don't know. And obviously, you can't really know just from what we find. So we know that it happened. We There is enough evidence to say it probably did. Was it the Druids doing it? Was it a Druidic idea? Was it something else entirely? We don't know. And we will likely never know. All we have is the evidence of archaeology and the written sources. And the written sources in archaeology state that, yes, there was some sense of human sacrifice in Northern Europe, including the UK, but not necessarily human sacrifice to the degree or to the understanding of the way the sources portray them as. And unfortunately, that's as far as we can go. But as I said, this is what the Druids were like I said, the revivalists took Druids in a very different way than I think they really are understood in the sources. Believing a lot of what the Romans said doesn't always help you either understand what the ancient peoples believed or did, but it does give us a sense of where they were, and it did give a sense of the importance of them in British society, and likely it gave us an understanding that Druids were something that were not just considered important, they were considered critical to society, and their reliance upon them as educators, as people who were the keepers of knowledge, is something that can't be understated or undersold. And I find the idea that they might have originated in Wales is even more fascinating, and we will continue to talk a little bit about them as we go through the Roman period, because as the Romans invade, they will confront them, and we'll get to the point where they actually attack them and the reasons why they attacked them, uh, and what the results of that were, and how did it affect society to have a changing mythology, a changing legacy coming out of not having your former leaders, and how does that create a new society 
as the new masters take over. And why did some of these things still persist beyond that period? That Again, that'll be something we'll continually be asking about, and we may never know the answer to. But I do think it's fascinating to see things return and continue to be used, even when their supposed usefulness had come to an end. And so I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please, 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 if you could give us a review or a rating on iTunes and on Google, if that's possible, and on Stitcher, which I know it's possible, that is so great. Because honestly, the more of those we receive, the higher up we go. And so that when somebody's looking for history, we come up um, rather than just Welsh history. The more people that review and, and give us ratings, the more people will see and hopefully you will continue to put forward our podcast as something worth listening to. I really appreciate everything that's gone on so far with everyone, and I appreciate all your help and your willingness to contribute. Uh, talking to you is some of my favorite things to do, and, and having conversations and being able to talk about more in depth uh, what we've done is amazing. I just recently did an AMA on Reddit, uh, you can find that at uh, the Welsh History or History Wales on Reddit is the subreddit where it was located at. And if you want to read that, go ahead. And I continually answer questions when people ask on Facebook or on Twitter. So please, if you have any questions, any concerns, any comments, you can reach me at any one of those places or at welshhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, and have a brilliant day. Bye bye. This has been a Distractions Media production. For more information, you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. What's up, guys? We just launched a Patreon to help us bring in some money for upgrades and advertising. There's a lot of cool tiers on there that you should check out, and you can get all the extra content for just $5 a month. Check it out at patreon.com slash distractionsmedia. History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.